0: This week, Roland Diaz from Tanium is with us to discuss one of the trickiest supply chain security challenges. Then, Ross Haliluk from Lima Charlie joins us to talk about product-led growth and building products in cybersecurity. Finally, in the enterprise security news, a light week in funding, after last week's mega raises from Wiz and Sandbox AQ. HP acquires some zero trust in CASB with Axis Security. InfoSec-themed tabletop gaming is really catching on. The White House's updated cybersecurity strategy is more of an update than a game changer, at least in my opinion. I go a bit nuts with AI news and essays, but I promise it's worth your time. There's some interesting stuff this week. Doing evil things with Chrome extensions? Women in cybersecurity? Letting strangers call you on purpose? All that and more on this episode of Enterprise Security Weekly.
1: This is a Security Weekly production for security professionals by security professionals. Please visit securityweekly.com forward slash subscribe to subscribe to all the shows on our network. Broadcasting live from G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island, it's the show where we talk security vendors and aren't afraid to name names. It's Enterprise Security Weekly.
0: Welcome to Enterprise Security Weekly and happy National Get Over It Day. This is episode 308, recorded on Thursday, March 9th, 2023. I'm your host, Adrian Sanabria, and joining me is the master of marketing, the mayor of mayhem, Tyler Shields. How are you, Tyler?
1: I am doing well, and uh, today has been a perfect day.
0: That's awesome. Uh, Those days are good and should be relished. Also joining me is the Czar of Zero Trust, the captain of content, Katie Titler. How are you, Katie?
2: I'm well. How are you, Adrian?
0: I- I'm getting over it. I'm, uh, You're getting over <laughs> it. It's been a good day. I think that's uh, a good when,
2: mantra for life.
0: I started off with a dentist, but the dentist is always a good trip for me. Uh, that's, uh, you know, apparently teeth and hair is something I'm, I'm blessed with. So <laughs> every time I... Uh, <laughs> Go to the dentist. They uh, Actually, she told me today, keep drinking coffee because uh, without removing coffee stain, I'd have nothing else to do with your teeth. <laughs> so I'll take it. I'll take the wins.
2: Sounds like and, a good uh, day.
0: Sean Metcalf is on a boat. So that's, that's something we'll have to also get over. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. National Get Over It Day. I, I don't know where that comes from. That, that is an actual day that is today. All right. Uh, some announcements here. Security Weekly listeners, Identiverse 2023 is heading to Vegas. Join the digital identity community at the ARIA Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, May 30th to June 2nd. Identiverse is a must-attend annual event that brings together over 2,500 security professionals for four days of world-class learning, engagement, and entertainment. I think it was in Denver last year. But, uh, but yeah, Vegas is uh, definitely has some room for for conferences. Maybe, maybe they're getting too big. As a community member, you're able to receive 20% off your Identiverse 2023 tickets using code ISV23-SW20. That code is ISV23-SW20. I believe we also have it in the show notes if you didn't get that written down. So check out the show notes as well for this podcast. And you can register at securityweekly.com forward slash identiverse2023. All right, our first interview today is sponsored by Tanium. Today's topic is tackling S-bombs. Not waiting for and tackling them today. Not waiting for vendors to get around to generating for them uh, them for you. And we're excited to have Roland Diaz, the Director of Technical Product Management at Tanium, with us today. Welcome, Roland. Hi, everybody. Hi, Adrian. How you all doing? Tyler's having a perfect day. Mine's Mine's not been bad. How, how's your day been, Katie?
2: Good. I, I've uh, been getting over my procrastination and, and doing all the things I need to do, so it's been productive.
0: All right. That's awesome. All right, so um, so yeah, you know, S bombs. Uh, people have been talking about them for for decades, you know. But now, with with the White House talking about S bombs, um, you know, much more. Uh, I, I think uh, you know the topic of conversation, and you know, one of the challenges here is, you know, I think the original idea is, uh, if you ship a product, you also ship a software bill of materials uh, with it, right, Roland. And and that's just it's not happening in a lot of cases, so yeah. The way I kind of look at it is is uh, you know what we're talking about here is is why wait? You know you can generate it yourself. You know if you have access to the software, uh, you know you you can you can pull that data yourself. Yeah, that's correct.
3: Um, you know if you take a look at what's happened over his you know over the history, a lot of companies never gave uh, S bombs or software bill of materials. And now everybody's trying to catch up. Uh, since Log4j came out with the executive order 14028, there's a real push in the industry to kind of get that. And the challenges that most people face is that, you know, if you have older software sitting in your environment, if you have a large developer environment where they have a lot of open source libraries sitting on their endpoints, you have no idea what it looks like. Most vendors today do what they call build time bill of materials. So they only know about it when they compile the application and deliver it. And what we do is different. We do what we call runtime. So what happens using the Tanium platform, we catalog all the files on every disk in your in your environment, and then we tell it what ecosystems to look for, whether it's Java, Python, Ruby, native binaries, Go binaries, really doesn't make a difference. Once we've compiled that data, we, what we then do is we take the JAR files or the WAR files and we strip them apart. And we look for all of the dependent libraries, no matter how far down the chain that it goes. So what ends up happening and probably the best analogy i can give to this is you know imagine you have a peanut allergy and you can't eat certain things with peanuts and there's a cookie jar sitting you know somewhere and you need to know if there's a peanut in there what we do is we take the cookie drop it into our analytics engine it pulls the entire thing apart and gets the list of ingredients and we display it to you um you know the challenges that we face in the industry when Log 4j first came out was where are you going can find this thing, it could be buried dozens, if not hundreds of layers deep inside of a jar file or a war file, and you're never going to know that it's there. Um, so our advantage is the fact that we look at the file system, we, we have our own index database that maintains all of that. So we're not crawling the file system. And when you need to do an investigation, in a minute or two, you can go in, look for that library, and then go to your security team, and say, Hey, I found it, or I found the affected versions.
0: Yeah, and I, I, the thing I like about that analogy that you made with the with the allergy is is it also highlights you know something the analogy doesn't doesn't actually do well. Kind of highlights, I think, where this became a problem here, is it, it's almost like for all your life you didn't have a peanut allergy and then all of a sudden you gained one. You know, so like you have no idea what's in your kitchen and your in your cupboard. Like you, this is not something you've ever worried about before. And now, all of a sudden, somebody tells you, you know, you could die if if you even come into contact with with Peanuts. And, and now you've got this whole cupboard worth of stuff and, and you got to figure out what's what's in there.
3: Yeah, and, and that's been the current problem because, you know, if you think about systems, I mean, there's probably applications that have been sitting on disk for years that your teams may not even know. Um, it could be remnants of removed applications that wasn't really properly cleaned up. So having a software bill of material from the vendor isn't really going to help you know that you don't have it on your disk. So that was you know, kind of the challenge that we faced at Tanium. And we said, well, hey, you know, we have the tool set to go out within a few seconds and ask a question of a million endpoints around the world and get this information back. Why don't we just extend this into software bill of materials? And that's really how the whole thing was born. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Gareth Jeremiah was one of the heads of it, pulled me in and a couple of other people and we wrote the thing kind of just as an internal competition within Tanium. And it was so well well received that our CEO said, we need to make this a product, we need to build it in. And then of course, a month later, Log4j happened. And then Apache's commons came out, then commons.txt came out, then OpenSSL. And it was almost the perfect storm that we had the tool already built as kind of a test bed just using Tanium. And it ran from there. And now it's part of our product. It's actually a bolt-on
0: module to the product that I'm one of the product managers of called Asset. Asset. Okay. Yeah, it's good to know. Um, And one of the other things you said I I think is important too, even if the vendors did do it, unless it's dynamic and and it's automatically built with every release, uh, even if a vendor did give you uh, an SBOM, you could have drift uh, with that. And then you have some cases where you know, Java, I think, is a great example. If, If you're running Java code locally, um, there's a lot of cases where you can use their JVM or JDK, or you can bring your own and and point the product at that. You know, so in some cases, uh, the SBOM is more of like a shared responsibility. Like s- some of the some of the components you bring to the table, some of them they bring to the table. So, you know, even if we were managing them from from the vendors, it would still be complicated. I think.
3: Yeah, and, and again, to your point, I mean, that's the whole idea behind Tanium is that we give the definitions to the clients. The clients then get actions from Tanium to sit down and say, hey, monitor your system constantly. So what ends up happening is the first time we lay down uh, our software of materials utility, it tells Index to catalog everything in the file system based on the ecosystems that we're looking for. And then what happens is we look at the, sh- we SHA-256 hash, the binary or the, the actual physical file that we found and then out, once we have that, then we start breaking it down. We start pulling apart that list of ingredients, storing it within the endpoint local database and keeping it available for research in the event that we need it. Um, we've seen, we had one developer at Tanium had over 150,000 library links inside of his machine. So just imagine trying to find that at scale. Um, it's, it really becomes difficult. And if you have to react to a situation or a zero day pretty quickly you're going to need to go in and find that information and and knowing that you have it is extremely powerful i mean just think about it when lock 4j came out or even more, more recently OpenSSL. if you had OpenSSL anything before version 3.0 or after and including 3.0.5 you were safe but if you had anything in between there you you were potentially vulnerable and nobody knew I mean, and that's what S Bomb brought to the table. Was we were able to go in within a few seconds, query a million machines in your endpoint, and get you the results so that you can give it over to your security teams and say, "Here's everything that's affected by it," so that you can either use again another feature with Intanium, pull deploy or patch, to push out the remediation for that, or upgrade that application on disk.
1: Hey, Roland uh, Tyler Shields here. I have a quick question for you. Um, you're consistently referring to SBOM in representation of libraries, dependencies, chunks of code on disk. Um, Many times I hear SBOM referred to as dependencies embedded in application code itself. Can you help the audience understand the difference between, say, an application centric SBOM, a host based SBOM? Is there any difference and do they provide similar and overlapping values or uh, similar and kind of adjacent values?
3: Well, I, I'd say that, you know the, the, the biggest thing is that un, until we find you know when I say on disk, what I'm really referring to is the parent file. So after that, there's all of the dependencies that could be buried all over the place. It could be in disk, it could be somewhere in a network share, and you really need to know that. So really, that's what our application does is it tells you all of those dependent libraries instead of doing an actual physical file search because that's what kind of happened in the early days of log 4 People were looking for the log4j-core.jar file. And they weren't able to find it because it was embedded very deep in other code. So, I mean, we're not, what we're not doing in SBOM is we're not stripping apart the code. But what we are doing is we are looking at all of the dependent libraries that are linked within it.
1: Got it. Okay. And then the other the other thing I often hear uh, mentioned alongside SBOM is uh, VEX, the vulner- vulnerability exchange, vulnerability, exploitability exchange. Um yes. Do you have any information? Familiarity on VEX and what that is to educate the audience as well.
3: So the first thing that we decided to tackle with Tanium was finding whether or not these libraries existed. And that's really where Asset and SBOM came together. Asset's kind of our CMDB. It pulls all the information, applications that are on endpoints, all the harbor information about it. So we said, all right, now we're going to start building that repository for the library. What's coming from Tanium in about another 60 to 90 days is we're going to extend to our vulnerability scanning engine called Comply the ability to take a look at, you know, when a CVE comes in and it says, okay, if you have this library, if you have these other 10 things, and, you know, a a path to somewhere or an executable, that that comprises a security risk, and you need to take remediation on that. And that's really where we're going next. It'll be another feature within the Tanium platform. So it'll give us the ability to pivot real quickly and find that and understand whether we're exposed by those CDs or not.
2: So what happens Roland, when there's software applications, data, whatnot that doesn't pass through the end, the end point because that's, that's one of your strengths. So what about some of the stuff that's internal to the network may not be moving around a whole lot? How do, how do you deal with that?
3: Well, the Tanium agent runs on basically everything that you have in your environment. It's going to run all your servers. Uh, we do run on we do run in a limited capacity on containers. We run on all your desktops. Um, or, you know, all of your endpoints will run in AWS or Azure, anywhere where you own or have the ability to control that that system. What we can't do is we can't sit down and say like on a cloud hosted application whether or not they have S bombs you're potentially exposed to because you just like anything else you don't have access to that system. So we give you the ability to just check your own environment. Um, The way that the Tanium agent works, there's no necessary dependency for really being anywhere other than having an internet connection. So if you have a large mobile workforce, that's not a problem for us. We can work anywhere in the world, even over satellite links. And once we send those jobs in what we call client extensions down to the Tanium endpoint, they do all the work locally and then report the data back to Tanium.
2: And so what happened, what what are, companies doing with this now? Because SBOM has been a thing for a long time, but it's only starting to take shape now, as you mentioned, the the executive order and other things in the industry that are making it more prevalent. But what are companies actually doing with it? At present, is it more of an awareness type tool? Are they actually triaging it? How, How are they using this data
3: So right now, today, most of the customers that I've been involved with, um, they've got or they received the the build time um, S bomb reports. And after we ran in the environment, they were surprised to find how much extra they found on their disks because they just didn't know it was there. Going back to the you can remove something, but you may not remove all the components of it. So that was really kind of the biggest thing. The next thing that they're really asking us for is the compliance piece, which is right now that I know that I have that thing, how can I get rid of it? So right now, what we've seen in the industry is, you know, let me find it. If it's something that's no longer in use, I'm going to remove it. I'm going to purge it from the system. Um, If it's something that we can patch or upgrade, we'll use one of our other modules to kind of push that down to the endpoints. In fact, there's a big thing going on right now that I'm involved with where Oracle has just changed their licensing for the Open JDK and SBOM is finding it on disk where it's not necessarily listed as a traditionally installed application. So if you think about it from a Windows perspective, you know, you can look at the WMI library, you can look at the the um the registry, but that's not necessarily going to te- tell you everything that's on there. So we can find, you know, those ecosystems and executables happen to be one of the things that we also uh, take a look at. It's not just standard jar files. I I've talked a lot about jar, but we look at go we look at Python, we look at PHP, we look at Node. Um, you know, we look at all anything on a Windows machine that's a .dll or its magic number is it identifies it as an ex- executable, and then we pull that thing apart and catalog it. So we have just a tremendous amount of data available to us.
2: In an average scenario, when when companies are able to use Tinium or any other SBOM tool to find these vulnerabilities, and we saw with... Log4J, as well as others, that people found ways, not great ways, but you know, in absence of these SBOM tools, found ways to understand their environments and where they were vulnerable, but in some cases, it was still taking them a really long time to upgrade, patch, change access, whatnot. So, what are you seeing in terms of actual remediation? Is it taking companies days, weeks, months? I'm certain there are companies out there that haven't patched log4j yet
0: oh no doubt yeah i mean it's taken weeks and
2: months oh good somebody was
0: no i I was gonna say or you know they haven't patched it because they haven't found it yet right
2: well there is that but i'm assuming we're talking about you know for for this particular question that companies have done their due diligence and they've found it because it's one thing to know about it and another thing to actually fix it to remediate it to close those holes
3: yeah. So, I mean, we had the same challenge in the early days of Log4j coming out because, you know, we we have a couple of products that were able to open up some of the JAR files and read some of the data within it. But the problem was it was only a few few layers deep. So a lot of companies did that simple investigation. They went out, they looked for the physical file that they thought was on disk. And if it was there, they got rid of it and they remediated it. And they're now shocked to find after running our SBOM, because it is runtime, that they have it in more places than they ever knew that they did because of the fact that it was buried, maybe in a jar file called server.jar or server.war. And now they're going back and they're taking those remediation steps. And again, I think that's when it goes back to where our comply module comes in, is that comply is going to be able to grab those CVEs. It's going to understand what libraries that we're looking for. It's going to leverage SBOM and the SBOM library data to say, okay, I have this on disk. And like I said before, I have these several indicators that say now I'm, I can be compromised. I am vulnerable. I think that's really the next big thing that the that the industry is looking for and that's the reason why it's under like we have a whole team of developers right now working on that to get it out targeted potentially end of april i was told but i'm saying probably april or may is when we should see that start to hit the street and become a feature set now within our comply module as well
0: great thank you so it's it's uh you know, I think an interesting component of this is if people don't know what they have, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of just just mess there that needs to be cleaned up. Um, I'm kind of curious about, uh, you know, I don't know how much roadmap you're comfortable talking about, but um, I'm just thinking of all the action items you, you might want to take after you get these results back. Like, OK, when was the last time? that library was used, like certainly, you know, I think people, and this is something where there's even products that all they do is they strip out all the stuff out of a container that you're not using. You know, it actually monitors the container during runtime, and if it doesn't get used, it gets stripped out, you know, and, and that gives you both the benefit of performance, better performance in that container, you know, because the size of it's smaller, and, uh, and less attack surface, you know, you're stripping out functions that could potentially be vulnerable in the future, Uh, that, um, that, that you're clearly not using, so they don't need to need to be there. So, so where is this going? Like maybe, you know, I think this is still the first release of F S bomb. Where is this going in version two? Are are you looking into things like, you know, telling me if it's ever been used or the last time, you know, library was actually executed, things like that.
3: Yeah, so we already have that within the asset product uh, where we do track usage. So one of the next steps that we're looking at for SBOM is really, to your point, is it being used? What's using it? Um, there's another part of the project that's going on where we're going to try to take those jar files and tie them back to vendor based applications, kind of doing a file evidence thing to say, okay, these 18 components equals something like IBM same time or some other, some other application. Um, the next iteration of it really is after that is going to really be the easy use of building executive reports and then one-click remediation. So if you think about it, if if I found the, something that was vulnerable, either from within Azure or Comply to say, okay, I found it. And now, you know again, using one of our other products, which is the power of our Tanium platform is you know I don't need to go to another subsystem. I don't need to create a stub out to another application to patch that thing. I can just simply say within Tanium, okay, here it is. Get rid of it. Remediate it update it, whatever I want to do to it. And that, that is all definitely within
0: our roadmap. Okay. And um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, so so I think part of this, you know, I mentioned the the part of that analogy where you, you don't have the peanut allergy and you suddenly have it. Uh, are, are you seeing customers, you know, a- actually testing this function out? You know, it's, it seemed to me You know, you mentioned Log4J, but before that, we had Equifax. You know, several years before uh, Log4Shell was an issue and Log4J, we had a perfect example of what can happen to you if you don't know how to find vulnerable libraries in your environments. Uh, Equifax uh, knew that uh, the, uh, the struts, there was a serious critical struts vulnerability, and they dropped everything, tried to find it in their environment, failed to find it. And then, you know, moved on to, to doing other things until that, that vulnerability was was used against them. And uh, famously, they, they had a, a pretty large breach. But uh, so I guess where I'm going with this, you know, how, how do you see customers using this product? Is this something that they're, you know, break glass in case of, of use? Or are people actively trying to, you know, make sure that they can find things with it? Are they, are they actually testing things out uh, with, with this tool?
3: Well, I mean, you're correct on struts. I mean, we even w- when struts came out for us, we had to write a whole bunch of sensors and packages to be able to find it on disk. And it definitely took a while to fix and remediate. What we're seeing right now in the industry, especially in like financial services or in or in FedRAMP, that they want this stuff inventory. They want to know that it's there and they want to know when a zero day comes out, again, within a few seconds, do I have it or not? Um, I've been telling all my customers, look, get ahead of the curve. You know, Start building these catalogs on your machine. Because once I pull that cookie apart, Unless you put a new cookie in the cookie jar, I don't have any reason to do that analysis again. If the hash of the file changes, we'll strip it apart again and see what change in it. So if you happen to remediate it, we can now market it as um, remediated. We do give you the ability to build executive reports so that you can show changes over time, so that you can go to your CISO and say, okay, look, here's what our, our exposure was on day one, and here we are 24, 48 hours later. So really, it's 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 the speed it's, it's really the speed to market and having all of that stuff in inventory.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking of it, you know, kind of from an operational perspective. Like, you know, I would love to just go to one of my developers and say, "Hey, give me the name of something weird and obscure that we use, you know, and and let's make a scavenger hunt out of it. See if we can find it. You know, because maybe they forgot to put Tanium on a couple systems, or, you know, I, I just uh, from somebody who did disaster recovery back in the day, I know that. Typically, unless you've actually tested it, you've maybe done 50, 60% of what, what needs to be done, you know, for it to for it to work in the time of need.
3: Yeah, and it's definitely one of the other use cases. I mean, we had customers going through audits and were looking specifically for jar files that were licensed and they didn't know where they were. So again, using S because I am doing the search and I am looking, I am capturing the, the paths. I can tell you whether you have it, what machines you have it on, the exact path where you can find that file. So now, if you if you have if you're getting into a licensing scenario, you can you can know exactly where it is, and that's the reason why we're going to that file based evidence piece as part of our future project to sit down and say, okay, this jar file equals this application, which is a commercial application which comes with licensing costs, much like a much like we're doing right now with the um, Oracle OpenJRE issue because they're changing their complete licensing model.
2: Oh, so with everything coming out of the White House, you know, sometimes this is really good. It's it such a great example for companies and things can take off, but sometimes they just end up being check boxes. you know, especially when there where's a new, there is a new rule or regulation. What do you think the impact on the industry is going to be? Because unfortunately, we've seen a lot of these pieces of guidance or frameworks or even regulations turn into the minimum viable security, right? Their checkbox requirements for compliance sake. What do you think is going to happen with this? Do you think this is going to go that way? Do you think companies are really going to embrace it as breach protection?
3: So I would say, I mean, if you look where we were a year and a half ago with log4j, and then the rapid fire, of all of these other vulnerabilities that were based on open source came out. Companies, especially, you know, financial institutions are are really they want to get ahead of the curve. They don't want when a new vulnerability comes out to have to spend days or weeks, or if not months, trying to find what they have in their environment. And, and that's really where we're helping them. It's kind of the preventative thing. I mean, the analogy I like to use is nobody buys a burglar alarm until after they've been burglarized. Well, in this particular case, this is your burglar alarm. We're guarding you. We're we're putting all the rails around your environment. We're giving you the visibility into what you have so that when the next bad thing does get exposed, you're going to be able to remediate it way faster than any of your other competition. And you're not going to be in the news. You're not going to be the next headline about, hey, look, you know, all this information uh, got stolen from Equifax because they had a vulnerability they didn't know about
2: the ramifications of this, we saw with GDPR, obviously, that they were going to implement fines, but in some cases, the fines weren't that impactful to certain types of organizations. You know, so what are going to, uh, other than, you know, hey, we hope everybody does security for security's sake, um, and we hope people do what's right, and, and SBOM will be one of those things, but what are going to be the penalties or the ramifications beyond, hey, keep your systems secure?
3: Well, I mean, I think it's you, you got to worry about reputational, uh, you know, whether people trust you or not. I mean, a lot of people lose trust in Equifax, you know, so it's a lot more than just a monetary fine. I mean, do you as a company want to sit down and say, hey, look, because I didn't spend a little bit of money on prevention that, you know, all your personal information got leaked out and now you're the victim of, um, you know, of identity fraud? Sorry. I, I mean, I, I don't think that's really a good example for anybody. I mean, I I know I wouldn't. I worked in the healthcare space for 20 years before I came over here to Tanium. Now I was never a security guy. I've always been on the you know inventory and on the um endpoint management side of the world. But I've had to deal with that where you know we frankly, we got breached. You know, we had a critical information or we were victims of things like ransomware where it's a real problem. So I mean, Have you know, you security certainly everybody else sticks seriously.
2: Yeah sorry, sorry, I overlapped with you there for a second. Um, are you seeing certain industries like more highly regulated industries, healthcare, you mentioned financial services have more initial interest, or is this one of the you know early adoption type things for more forward-thinking tech companies and such?
3: I would say of the customers that I've done POCs for, the lion share with them either in the federal space. Because of the executive order, um, financial services has always been ahead of the curve. I mean, they're, they're very, very, very security conscious. Um, it's starting to ramp up more in healthcare than it used to be. Um, healthcare has become a really big target for hackers because of that personal information. Um, you know, manufacturing is really big. We have a lot of manufacturing customers that want to know that they have this. Because, you know, do you really want someone taking over your plant and being able to do something with, you know, with your equipment or, you know, potentially introduce a new threat? You know, especially when you start going into um, utility organizations. I've represented a few of them out here in New York over the years of my, my time here with Tanium. And again, very, very, very security conscious. They wanted all the tools. They wanted to be prepared before anything ever hit.
0: Yeah, so so um, you know, speaking of customers doing POCs, things like that, I, I wonder if there's folks trying to DIY this, either, either themselves in house or with some open source software or something like that. You know, do do you see people coming to you guys saying, "Look, it, this just isn't working out." Like trying to trying to build this uh, ourselves, you know, and they they want to check out your product and and see if your product can can solve that for them. Well, that's
3: actually kind of how this came to us is that we had one customer that said, Hey, there's this utility out here that, you know, we think we can use, but we have too many endpoints. We got a crawl of file systems. It's incredibly inefficient. Do you guys think you can do anything better? And, uh, you know, we sat down uh, again, Garrett sat down and took a look at it, took, you know, brought me in because of my, you know, my um, experience with both index and asset and our inventory management system. And we, sat down and wrote the application that said, okay, we can do this at scale and at speed. So when we did our initial POCs, customers were shocked that with 150,000 endpoints around the world that within a few hours, they can get all the response information and then they can start hunting and finding what they're looking for. And that was really a game changer because if it was something that you were building one off, I mean, it just imagine individually deploying an application, scanning every machine, collating all of that data, getting it together, And you're a worldwide organization you have offices all around the planet you know it it becomes a daunting task so challenge accepted yeah exactly you know the next thing that we're really going for and this is another part of the future project is customers are now asking us to say hey can you build us a bill of materials like for a particular application can you sit down and give me what all of the libraries are and that's and there's like three or four different industry standards and that's what we're starting to also take a look at is like okay now that i have it i think we're better than a build time tool because of the fact that we know, we can see everything on disk and put together those dependencies and say yeah here's everything that you have that can supplement what you're getting in your from your build time tool
0: right source of truth right
3: yeah yeah that's how tanium always looked at ourselves is that we want to be the ultimate source of truth and then we can feed it to whatever third-party system that you want, or we can just keep it all internally, you know, through our integrations with you know, all the providers.
0: Yeah, yeah. Good stuff, Roland. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on Enterprise Security Weekly today. This has been uh, enlightening.
3: Pleasure being here. Uh, and if anybody's got any, any other questions, I'm more than happy to answer them.
0: Awesome. All right, make sure you visit securityweekly.com forward slash Tanium to learn more. And stay tuned. When we come back, we're gonna talk product-led growth and building products in cybersecurity with Ross Halleluk from Lima, Charlie.